Man, I'll tell you what. Isn't Jesus pretty awesome? Gosh. Yeah, you can clap for that too. He's a good, he's a good dude. He's a dude who's also our God, and uh, I'm just, man, I'm, in, I'm so in awe of what he's doing in our midst um, and, and how he's allowing us to just be a part of that. Um, John, thank you so much for sharing about the ministry of refuge. I, uh, I love the local church. I'm, I'm just, I'm biased, I know, but I love the local church. While you're telling your story, where's Josh Miner? I can't see anything up here. He's, he's probably hiding somewhere. Anyway, he sends me a text. Where He's, o- he's over here. He's there, you changed sides on me, man. Like, what is, like I, I can't handle this. We don't have the same seat every Sunday here at Christ Community? Usually. Okay, fair enough. All right. So he sends me this text. Josh is a teacher in Louisville, and he says, this is pretty cool about the refugees. We have a ton of them at my school, and we can see the impact of this organization. Job well done. Man, I love the local church because in the local church, we get to see Jesus working through his bride and connecting so many ministries and opportunities and just using his grace to change the world one person at a time. He will not be stopped. He will not be stopped. So many barriers to these refugees hearing about Jesus and here, as John said, they're in our backyard hearing about the good news of Christ and seeing it lived out in people's lives. And... um, as we, uh, as we continue in our series today, as we go through the book of Mark, we're going to see that very same truth that Jesus, he just can't be stopped. He can't be stopped. And we are left with this question, this opportunity, this choice as to whether or not we're going to compete with him or cooperate with him. All right. So um, if you would, find Mark 2 in, uh, in your Bible or on your smartphone, and we'll have some of the scriptures here on the screen, but I want to encourage you to do that. And while you find that, um, I want to share with you a a special occasion in the lawyer household. This is February, and February is the birthday month of our dog, Lily. So let me show you a picture of the first time that we got Lily. So cute. She's a a dachshund. One parent is long-haired, one parent is short-haired. This is nine years ago now. Nine years ago, we lived in Lexington. Those are some good-looking legs right there. And uh, the dog is better looking. And we were like in this, you know, just cute, cuddly puppy stage. So cute that I let her do things like this. Um, And I just loved our new little addition to the family. Uh, We got her one month after we got married. And so Lily has been with us for nine years. We're getting ready to celebrate nine years of marriage. Um, but Lily and I have a love-hate relationship because not long after this picture, we had to like start actually doing things with her to make her like a manageable pet. So we're trying to potty train her, and um, we found out early in my marriage that I was probably the disciplinarian. Uh, I would I was the one who would take Lily and rub her nose in the urine like I was supposed to, you know, and whatever, all the things, and. Um, I became convinced that she had it out for me and that she would go to the bathroom in the house whenever she wanted to get back at me. Of course, Caitlin was trying to convince me. Otherwise, she was like the rational voice in this. But then there was the moment that lives in infamy in the lawyer household. Came to, uh, came to our bedroom one night. Lily sleeps in our bed, still does to this day. Another thing that I, I grew up on a farm. Animals are meant to be outside. I'm still not sure how this happened. But I come to bed, and I'm getting ready to get in bed, and I pick up my pillow 
to fluff my pillow. And there is a pile of dog doo-doo under my pillow. And I'm like, Caitlin, listen. If you are not convinced at this point that this dog has it out for me, and me specifically, then you're crazy, right? So Lily literally pooped under my pillow. Um, And so began the vicious cycle of love and hate that I have with Lily. So uh, in answer to the age-old question, how much is that doggy at the window? Um, If you come by our house, she's free. And she still is to this day. So if you're looking for a nine-year-old miniature dachshund, come see the doggy in the window. Uh, Man, I wish it wasn't true. Uh, But we sing a song like Come You Sinners. and, And I wish it wasn't true. But I get into those same types of cycles, love, hate, battles of the will with people. And sometimes I even get into those same cycles with Jesus. Love, hate, frustration. Those competitive juices get flowing, pride is welling up in me, and the cycle of loving and fighting, it just begins. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who struggles with something like that uh, in this world, but I, I would guess that for many of us, um, we have situations, relationships, uh, not only with people in our lives, but, but maybe also with Jesus. Man, I don't know every story in here, but maybe, maybe today you're here because you've heard about Jesus, you've heard of the church, and, and church has hurt you, people in the church have hurt you. I don't know what your story is, but it's, it feels very much like this, this love and fight, love and hate relationship. And, and I think uh, many times our relationship, um, they can kind of be similar to what happens when we buy a two-liter from the grocery store, right? So... Um, you go, you get your two-liter from the grocery store, and then you put it somewhere in your car, and the whole way home, it's going like this, right? Just a little bit, or you hear the clunk in the back, and you're like, that was probably the pop. And you're like making a mental note to yourself, don't open that soon after getting home. But then when you get home, your toddlers, or maybe your spouse, I don't know, they're wanting to help with groceries, and they grab the pop out of there, and they're, you know, like, if, especially if it's your kid, they're like, I got the pop, Mom, you know, just like bouncing up the steps, and this whole thing gets really shaken up, right? And, and it's only a matter of time until the pop blows, like, right? It just blows. Or maybe, maybe it's like when you put it in the freezer. Something has happened between you and someone close to you, and it feels like you've been frozen out of that relationship, and there's just not enough room in the pop bottle for everything that's going on in your life. And I think for many of us, for many of us, that kind of roller coaster ride, the the wave of emotions, the ups and the downs, the loving, the hating, the fighting, that can sum up so many of our relationships in this world. And when we're really honest with ourselves, it can sum up our relationship with Christ. It's really not too hard. It's pretty easy to see how this plays out in many cases. Our, conti- our kids continue to not listen, right? We say it again and again and again. And then when their whiny victim voice objects, we blow our top. We're done. We don't say anything to our spouse about their lack of engagement or about not wanting to talk about things. And then when they say something to us, it's on. Maybe our parents, no matter what our age, are all the time asking questions. And then they start throwing suggestions our way about how we can do things better. We can only take so many of those before our top blows, right? We can only get shaken up so many times before it just pops. 
Maybe we sit quietly as we disagree with our friend who has a different view on refugees or immigrants or race relations or sexuality or political parties, right? We're all having these conversations. We're being engaged with those conversations on probably a daily basis. But at some point, a line is crossed in a conversation or a relationship, and and the whole relationship just seems to go up in smoke. And for many of us, we give up before that, and we don't even try to have relationships with people that aren't like us. And all these situations, and, and way more than just this, it begins to feel like we're competing against these people for what we think is right and fair and just. It becomes us versus them. And what we sometimes fail to see is that this same emotional instability can really, really wreck our relationship with Christ. And it puts us into that same competitive love and hate cycle with him. None of us would have walked in here today saying, yeah, I compete with Jesus all the time. We get into fights. But when we begin to peel back the layers of ourselves, we realize that oftentimes we are competing with him. We're like in this this battle where we're trying to figure out who is right and who is wrong. And our division amongst each other causes us to doubt Jesus, the one that we see continuing to work and not be stopped. Before long, we've convinced ourselves that we know best, and we set out to prove it. James, James wrote this in his first chapter, and I think it describes this instability, this roller coaster ride that we end up on many times. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. What an encouraging first verse, right? It's like, I can get wisdom from God. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You see, when we begin to doubt, when we begin to get into that competition with Jesus over who's right and who's wrong and, and why things are a certain way, we begin to doubt. And in this doubt, we become unstable. So Mark 2, beginning in verse 18 and following, our scripture for today. It's going to make a compelling case for why we should work to cooperate with Jesus instead of competing against him and and how we do that. Because here's the, the good news of the gospel. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus won't be stopped. He will not be stopped. Sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that he will be. So let's see what we see in Mark 2, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and they said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The question the Pharisees have for Jesus is about why Jesus' disciples were not 
fasting. Except for it's really not. It's not really about the fasting. It's about why they were doing something different than what the traditional customs of their religion were. And so Jesus answers with a really fun piece of of logic. And he basically looks back at them and he says, if you were at a wedding, would you be fasting? Ask yourself that question. If you were at a wedding, would you be fasting? Tell me, if the father of the bride was shelling out big bucks to have Ruth's Chris Steakhouse catered at a wedding, would you be fasting? And if you were, would you stop in that moment? I would. Just calling it out right there. Ruth's Chris. So Jesus, he, he answers them in this way, and then he starts hinting at who he is. He's the groom. He's the catch. He's throwing the party, and there's no need to be fasting until he leaves. Now, this is really tough to swallow because Jesus is challenging their faith in the Jewish religious system that was telling them to fast. And so they're faced with a decision. They're they're faced at this moment in time. Would they embrace what Jesus was saying or would they stay faithful to their Jewish past? Jesus won't be stopped by the past. He wasn't stopped by the past in this moment and he won't be stopped by your past. That's why he asks you the same question. Will you embrace what Jesus says about you in God's word, or will you continue to believe what the world and the people of this world say about you because of the things in your past? We all like to pretend like the past doesn't matter or that it's in the past. But too often we allow our past experiences to define our present expectations They don't define them. They simply inform them. Whatever your past contains, Jesus won't be stopped by it. He can work in you and through you and for you because he has redeemed you. He has made you new, paying full price for you and all your mistakes with his blood that was shed on the cross. That's good news. Many of us, we let our past stop us, but Jesus, he won't be stopped by your past. He will not be stopped by your past. Jesus goes on to make two telling statements. He talks about sewing a new patch on an old garment and new wine into old wineskins. Now, in those times, you made wine by taking grapes and putting them in these things called wineskins. And, and when you did that, you let them ferment, and as the grapes fermented, these skins would stretch and expand with the gases that come from fermentation. So when someone put new wine into old wineskins, those skins had already stretched, and they didn't have any more stretchability in them. And instead of stretching during the fermentation process, they would burst. And what happens is now you end up with no wine and a messed up wineskin. It was a huge waste if you put new wine into old wineskins. And Jesus was illustrating for them that these Jewish people couldn't just add Jesus into their Jewish lifestyles. They couldn't take all the things of their past and just add Jesus in as a side dish. That was like putting new wine into an old wineskin. Carl Babb was one of the founding elders of Christ Community Church way back in the day, 2010. And I'll never forget, he would say to our leadership often, something new cannot be born until something old dies. Something new cannot be born until something old dies. What does, that, what does that mean for my, my life? You see, when we hear the good news that Jesus won't be stopped, and we face that same question that they did in Mark 2, 
we have to decide, are we just going to try and add Jesus into our lives and continue to hold on to the past and to all the things that our life already has? Are we going to try to put this new following Jesus thing into our old lives? Or are we going to let Jesus redeem our past, leave it in the past, and move forward with him into the future? You see, there are things about your old life that, that will and must die as you begin to follow Jesus in this new way of life. That means that when we are in Christ, things change. Old habits, old hang-ups, and old hangouts often have to go away as Christ prepares to send us back out to be a light in the world. Jesus won't be stopped by your past. He won't be stopped by your past. Jesus also won't be stopped by your rituals and your rhythms. Your rituals and your rhythms. Continue reading with me, beginning in uh, verse 23. It says, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So let's clear something up about this passage first. It wasn't breaking the law to pick the heads of grain by hand out of anyone's field. Okay? So Jesus' disciples weren't breaking any laws by picking this grain with their hands. What the Pharisees were challenging was the fact that they were working on the Sabbath, what was considered to be a day of rest. They were literally going and pulling a little piece of grain and popping it in their mouth, and they said, that's like reaping a field, like you are picking grain. And so Jesus calls their attention to a story in 1 Samuel where David eats the bread that was, by rule, supposed to be eaten only by the priest. Now, what's crazy is that even way back there in 1 Samuel, under the old law, the leaders ended up deciding that the law was given by God to bring life, not death. And so they allowed it. And these Jews would have known that story. And so when Jesus questions them on this, it puts them in their place. And they quickly see that Jesus won't be stopped by the Jewish rituals. Now, in the same way, right? Like, how does, this, how does this apply for us? In the same way, Jesus won't be stopped by your rituals and your rhythms. Maybe your ritual and your rhythm has nothing to do with, you know, picking grain in a field. It probably doesn't. But we, just like the Pharisees, we can become servants to our rituals and our rhythms rather than to Jesus. There are things in our life, things that are part of our story, we say, things that we've just grown up with that, that seem like staples, and they become more important to us in the moment than following Jesus. But guess what? The good news is that won't stop Jesus from working in your life either. He will continue to press further and further and pleading and pushing for you to turn over control. And so how do we know that this might be happening in our lives? What should we be uh, mindful of? Well, you should be careful when you frequently use your routine as a way to say no to biblical community or to, to serving someone in need. When your excuse for not doing something or for not being a part of the church or being with the church is it doesn't work with our routine, check your heart. You should be careful when you have rhythms that create distance between you and Jesus instead of pushing you towards him. 
It happens slowly, but we have to be mindful. We have to be uh, alert to our routines and our rhythms because we know that Jesus is bigger than those things. And in those moments, it's only a matter of time before Jesus begins to break down our sacred rituals and call us back to himself because he loves us too much to be stopped by our self-centered rituals and rhythms. Jesus won't be stopped by your past. He won't be stopped by your rituals or your rhythms. But the best news of all is that Jesus won't be stopped by any opponent in your future. There is nothing in front of you that Jesus will be stopped by. We turn over the chapter to Mark 3, verse 1. It says, Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He paints him back into that same corner. But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus puts an exclamation point on the whole issue still on the Sabbath, he goes into the synagogue, the very center of their religious experience, and he heals the man's hand. He will not be stopped. Jesus will not be stopped. And yet, the Pharisees begin to explore how to destroy him. You know, in that cycle of loving and hating Jesus, they've decided that this is war, and they are going to win. And in fact, they accomplish the goal, or so they think. They get their buddies together. They find a way to falsely accuse him. They beat him. They bloody him. They hang him on a cross, putting nails in his hands and his feet. And they watch him die. And just to make sure they put a sword in his side, they'd won. They'd taken care of their problem. The competition with Jesus was over until it wasn't, until he came back to life, ascended into heaven, and began getting a place ready for those that he would save and forgive. If death could not defeat Jesus, there is no opponent in your future that will stop him from working in your life. There is none. And that is great news. And you and I can now say with confidence that Jesus will not be stopped by your past, by your rituals, your rhythms, anything else you will ever face. The enemy has been defeated. And that leaves you with a choice. Will you continue to compete with this God, with this, this person of Jesus Christ who will not be defeated? Will you compete with him? Or will you cooperate with him? Keep in mind, we just saw in Scripture how either way, whatever you choose, Jesus will not be stopped. Isaiah 14 is a passage that talks about 
possibly the most famous enemy to Jesus of all time. It talks about an enemy that, that thought he could win the battle. It says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, another name for Satan. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You know what's scariest about this passage? Is it's not hard for me and for you to find myself saying in my heart, I will make myself like the Most High. I'm in charge of my life. I want what I want. You can compete with Jesus or you can cooperate with him. When it comes to your finances, you can try to do it your way or you can cooperate with his way. When it comes to making time to being in the Word, in the Bible or to being in community with one another around the word and encouraging in prayer, you can compete with him or you can cooperate with him. When it comes time to deciding what you're going to do with your life, the career path that you're going to follow, the job that you're going to take or not take, you can compete with Jesus or you can cooperate with him. When it comes to deciding if you're going to be a part of, of the mission of refuge or another one of our partners, whatever it is, you can compete with Jesus or you can cooperate with him. You know right now in your heart what God is calling you to do in terms of those things. When it comes to following that crazy initiative down inside of you that says you need to start a ministry that meets this need or, or you need to start a group for the neighborhood and you know, like the people in your neighborhood. Or that crazy initiative down somewhere deep that says, I think God might be calling me to be a part of a new church plant that reaches this group of people. You can compete or you can cooperate. But Jesus won't be stopped. He won't be stopped. The truth, that truth that Jesus will not be stopped is not an excuse for inaction. It's a reason to be bold. You see, risk-taking faith that loves Jesus more than your comfort, honors him. It pushes us to cooperate with what he's calling us to do in our lives. Anybody of y'all, anybody remember uh, Deion Sanders? Prime time. He uh, is the only athlete to have hit a major league home run and scored an NFL touchdown in the same week. It's pretty cool. If you're a sports person, that's, that's awesome. If you're not a sports person, like, just know that that's really, really good. Okay, so Sanders grew up on the, on the streets of Fort Myers, Florida, and um, from his own testimony, that, that was pretty rough. Um, and and he's, he said this, I was exposed to all kinds of people that could have been professional athletes, and he said, it was my exposure to those that aren't that spurred me to, to do what I did. He, and he, he said this, I called those people Ida's. They'd say things like, if I'd have done this, I'd be making $3 million today. If I'd have practiced a little harder, I'd be a superstar. He said they were as fast as me when they were kids, but instead of working for their dreams, they chose drugs and a life of street corners. He said, when I was young, I had practice. My friends who didn't went straight to the streets and never left. That moment after school is the moment we need to grab. We don't need any more Ida's. Ida's. 
Can we just confess that too often we're Ida's? We get to a point in life and we say, I could be a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good mother. I could be a good Christian. I could be all these things if Ida, if Ida just. See, the circumstances of your life will either become your excuses for not following Jesus or your inspiration for serving him with everything you have. The circumstances of our life will either be our excuses or our inspiration. We will either compete or cooperate. You'll either be the victim of sin or you'll find victory in Jesus. So where are you? Where are you? You know, if we all choose to cooperate with Jesus today, that's when we tap into this unstoppable power of Jesus. It's hard to cooperate with Jesus. It's hard to cooperate with each other. It is work. You'll have to lay down your pride, your past, your rhythms, even your future plans. You have to lay all those things down to be able to cooperate with God and his people. But when we cooperate with Jesus, the beauty of it is that we begin to face those opponents that are coming in our life together. We will face our opponents together. I'm so encouraged by 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. How refreshing is that? What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Servanthood is greater than service. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. You see that? It's not easy. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Amen. We will face our opponents together if we choose to cooperate with Jesus. We will learn to love God together. Through terrible trials and times of joy, we will face those times together. We'll read the word together and pray together and encourage one another. Even when family and friends don't understand, we will stand together for the gospel, cooperating with Jesus and the plan that he has for us, Christ's community, for this church. We will love the people that he has allowed us to share life with together. Quirks, habits, blind spots and all. We will commit ourselves to one another because one another is how the Spirit affirms God's word in our lives. We will push each other to be better wives, better husbands, better parents, better bachelors, better bachelorettes, better children, all so that we can cooperate with Jesus in his mission to bring into himself a people that will be called God's children. That's what it means to love people together and face our opponents together. And we will love the communities that we are in together. Each one of us discovering and using their gifts to serve any and all who would need it. 
Together, we will love Shelbyville through simple acts of service. But more than that, together, we will plant churches that love communities and neighborhoods all around the world, engaging the darkness of the world with the light of Jesus through the power of the local church, seeking the city that is to come. That's what happens when we make small decisions in our everyday lives that choose to cooperate with Jesus' work in us. And when we stand together with Jesus... There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He cannot be stopped. Are you with us? And more importantly than being with us, are you with Jesus? Are you with him? We're either competing with him or cooperating with him. So let's be servants. Let's cooperate. The band's going to come back up and lead us in another song. And um, we're faced with that choice, that question, right? In your life, are you competing or are you cooperating? Do you know Jesus and does he know you? I can answer one part of that. He knows you and he loves you. And he wants nothing more than for you to come running into his arms. I will arise and go to Jesus. If you need to go to Jesus this morning, please don't doubt, don't waver. Myself and others will be back here by the curtain, and we'd love to just pray with you and embrace you. Or if you don't like to be embraced, we won't embrace you. I don't know. But we want to share with you what we have in us, the death of Jesus that gives us life. If you're a believer in Jesus who's followed him in baptism, we invite all of you to come forward, take a piece of the bread, and dip it in the juice. And when we do that, we remember that death. And we remember that that death gives us life. And it calls us to continue cooperating with him on a daily basis. We also encourage and challenge you to to give generously. When you give generously at Christ's community, you... uh, you take part in the mission. There's lots of other ways, but that's another way that you take part in the mission. One of the cool stories that's happened with Naima, uh, the family that our church is partnered with through Refuge, just this week, we were able as a church and as that group to help them get a van, and he's learning how to drive. And he's, he's finding his way in this world. And every time that happens, man, like the conversations get deeper and deeper and richer and richer. And I love hearing I love hearing those small moments where he asks a question now, who is this Jesus? What is this church that you go to? Maybe today you're asking those same questions. It's okay if you are. You don't have to be a refugee to have those questions. Come, arise, go to Jesus. He will love you as his own, and you will find life anew in him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for doubting. Forgive us when we don't believe that you are more than enough, that you will never be stopped. Give us the courage and the boldness to continue to be servants in the face of opposition, knowing, knowing that you will never fail.
Father, I know that there are people in this room who, who don't know Jesus. For those people, God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with a sense of your love and compassion. I pray that you would show them that it's more than good to give their life to you, to follow you. Father, for those of us who are journeying with you already, your sons and your daughters, I pray that you would open our eyes to the things around us, the things inside of us. That you would continue to call us to more and give us the courage to, to take steps and boldly, boldly follow you. Help us to be servants of you. Father, forgive us. But also send us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We raise his name high today. We celebrate him today. And we pray all these things in his name.